Product Board Engineering Leadership Podcast. 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 Welcome back to the Product Board Engineering Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Sandberg. This will be part two of my conversation with Wojciech Vondra, Director of Engineering here at Product Board. We're calling this episode a community conversation, which is something we'll hopefully want to return to during this series. So we'll call it community conversation number one. This was the second half of the conversation I had with Wojciech, but the format here was that we included the community by using questions submitted by the audience that attended our first engineering leadership event. And we use questions that we didn't have time to answer in person that night. So when you hear me in this episode of the podcast asking Wojciech questions, or if you hear us talking about which question to answer next, we're looking at that list that was submitted by the community. I hope you enjoy getting Wojciech's and product boards and a little bit of my perspectives on what were, I think, some very common and, and very resonant questions about engineering leadership. So here's part two of my conversation with Wojciech Vondra. We were so excited about all the questions that we got at the event itself, and we didn't have time to answer all of them. And also in terms of having a community conversation, since we don't have a phone line yet or a, a live podcast, this is the best way to sort of bring the community's voice into the discussion this time. So we have the... Do you know the Bolet Nasajitali TV show? No. So in the 90s, there's the there's like the three major TVs in, in the Czech Republic. There's Česká Televize, Nova and Prima. And there was a particularly well-known owner of Nova, the most commercial one called Vladimir Zelezny. I know about him. I met in New York City the first ever official employee of Devenova. Oh. They had had employees before that, but they weren't officially on the payroll. She's actually potentially relevant to this discussion. She's uh, now the head of revenue at Kibula or something like that. Yeah. But I met her randomly in New York City and she told me about the guy uh, telling me that she was his first ever official employee. So every Sunday at noon, there was, uh, there was it began with the phrase, and uh, called the director, uh, called the director TV show went on and like for 30 minutes he answered questions. So I expect we're going to have a bit of that today as well. Well, I hope you can have uh, as much personality as this mythical character. I'm counting on you. So we have uh, organized by popularity the, the questions that we didn't get to at the event. So we'll just start from the top. And the first question we have is, what metrics do you use to track the performance of your engineering organization? I think a lot of people drive this question to velocity and they want to understand if their team is productive. But I would probably start um, how I will be sort of um, judged on my job. And I think the first and most important thing is, do I have an engineering team at all? So I think it all starts with happiness. And it's also one of the key things I tend to ask on interviews for, for roles, uh, for engineering management roles. And I, for example, look up their Glassdoor ratings and I look at how happy the engineering team there is. And there can be also, and it's not, something that's like a, that a red flag that if their team is unhappy, but they should be aware about it and also kind of have like an idea of how to solve it and how to think about it. So I think the first, uh, the first metric that I would use is uh, happiness. This is something that 
it doesn't matter to try to measure velocity uh, in any way unless unless you solve this first, because I think this is sort of like a co coefficient or multiplier that just comes before all the rest. And if you're going to have a motivated team, you can just put a 1.2 in front of that. And if you have a very demotivated team, which is just doing it uh, because, I don't know, out of habit and kind of drudging your all along, then you can like easily put a 0 0.4 in front of any other optimizations and output you can expect from your team. So I think my internal metric is, and one of the things I'm, I'm most fond about is if the, if, the, if the team is happy. There are surveys, there are tools, there's your hands-on hands -on, uh, experience, uh, but this would be, for, for, uh, for example, the first thing. We, here we actually, I've used two tools in the past for that. The one we use in product board is called Caltramp. Uh, we share an investor, so it's uh, we have to, but I think it's actually a good tool. And just uh, to get an idea about the team, it gives you a great snapshot. And it also really is good to run it regularly to get an idea. It's more of a litmus test. It doesn't tell you anything conclusive, but it can often give you a hint if something is going wrong in some area. We track things like peer relationship. Can I rely on my colleagues to do great work? We track things like environment or reward. Uh, can I have a... Can I have a um, uh, a discussion about my reward, am I paid fairly? There's things like recognition or management support and direction. I've used a very similar tool called Picon and Delivery Hero, and I've used it consistently for two years. So I kind of saw what sort of data you have after a longer period of time. And if I look at that like line chart of happiness in each of these events, I can really see initiatives that put that, put that score lower or which put it up higher when we were trying to fix it. I can also see ineffective attempts at, at uh, recovering in some of those areas where we had helped us realize, okay, it seems like a nice initiative to fix environment by people giving headphones, but it doesn't solve the underlying issue. And uh, so that's the first thing. I think it's in general happiness. And then overall, you can do this more aggregate approach on a company level, but you have to drill down as well. So obviously getting that into your one-on-ones and making sure that also the teams you oversee and you support that, you kind of have an idea about uh, that. Afterwards, I'm sort of the more optimistic person, thinking that if people are happy, they're gonna they're gonna be productive, uh, just like that. So, and it often is true. So, I sort of think if you give people the if you set the right set the right environment up for them, and if you give them a clear goal to achieve then people tend to really thrive and just go and race for that goal. But if, uh, and that actually brings me to the, to the second more important thing, I think before you start to track something, apart for, from happiness of the team, you need to make sure that the team has clear goals. And if you wake up any person from that team at 3 a.m. and you tell them, what are you working on right now? What would you like to do by the end of January, the quarter, or this week, or the sprint? The people should be able to recall an answer and understand what they are working on, why they are working on it, and roughly where they are. And I think this is also uh, one of the responsibilities of managers is to kind of give that sense of movement and recognition that we are moving on this scale, uh, on this time sort of scale. And especially in product companies where you don't have projects coming and going at a faster pace, uh, I've seen teams which suddenly got bored or got a feeling of stagnation that they're not moving. And I think this is another motivation killer. So in case you have a team happy, it knows its goals. 
I am not a type of person that will really try to look at sprint velocities or similar metrics. I don't think I can find too much, too much uh, value there. I've rather live under the assumption that the team is productive and, and see it on a higher level. Obviously, velocity and, and sprint planning can be really useful within one team where uh, it can uncover some bottlenecks or maybe, again, point to some underlying issues, but it's not going to tell you which they are. It's more just a cue for you to try to start figuring that out. But I don't feel like a table or a Tableau dashboard, which will tell you the productivity of an engineering team is possible to make even. Yeah, so I have a little bit of a shameless plug followed by a serious follow-up. One of the things that really amazed me about Product Board when I first encountered it when there were something like, I don't know, 15 or 20 engineers was how well this was being done even at that size. In most of my experience, these are very hard things to, to keep the pulse of if you're not careful about it when you get above about 10 people. Mm. However, the approaches that 20 people don't work as well when you get to 50, 100. And so at the same time that I would say, I was really amazed by how well Product Board was doing this when I got here. And I think, not to put words in your mouth, but you've said similar things to me about your observations on, on your arrival. It's interesting to think about it in terms of metrics and, and what is the real things to focus on as you, as you get bigger, because this is the kind of thing that uh, will not take care of itself if you're not paying attention to the right things. So that was our first most popular question. As we move on down the list, we have, what would be the best advice in order to scale the engineering team from the true early stage, like around four team members? It's an interesting question because the question is scale how big, I suppose, but you can take this wherever you want. I mean, the, the better one, obviously, to answer this would be Daniel, because he had this, uh, he spent the past three, four years learning how to do that. Uh, I will actually admit that I've always, I've never, I've worked in smaller companies in my, previously in my career, but they had no ambition of growing into anything bigger than they were. And uh, in startups, which I've joined, they've started about the 30, 40 employee mark in, in terms of engineering. So we'll, I can take it from, I think there are important things to consider when you're when you're very small you will be very close to people and i mean the, the the overlying theme will be people will be growing more distant from each other as you grow and that is i think also the most commonly resonating feeling in product board and in other companies i've met uh on the track to hyper growth and this is going to be your primary source of primary source of frustration as as, as probably at this phase of the cto uh, and going forward. I think it's important to realize that uh, growth is okay to reassure people in, in that. And uh, it's always gonna be the fact that if you know what you want to build, you have the resources to do it, 20 people will be able to do it faster than four. I think if you will read about this, the very common feedback, and I do agree with this, that for some processes and for some measures, if I can use an ugly word, there's a time when it when the overhead of them becomes uh, is larger than the benefit, right? So I think at a four-person team, it's really a group of friends. It's really people which can align and sort of live together and understand what everybody else is doing. So that is really early stage, and you're only trying to figure and you're only starting to figure out how you work together, and then 
over time, uh, you will start to bring, you will start to need to fix bottlenecks and uh, issues that come along. But I think the order of them will be different in every other company, in every company. And I think it's more important to keep like an open mind and start to think about what are true issues, what are just things that make people a little bit scared on the way and, and just need a bit of reassurance. And, but also don't overreact. So really, again, focus on making sure that the goals that you're uh, laying ahead of the team are clear and, and the team uh, knows where, where it's going. And I think that can actually scale up to like 20 people. And that's actually a very common story I hear. A lot of the people that are interviewing here and we're interviewing end up with 15 direct reports and they actually report that things are going okay. Whereas we're like more in, like we're surprised and say, how can you actually manage that? How can you talk to 15 people and have a one-on-one -on -one with each of them? That's pretty much like your whole week booked out. And so I think those teams work really well because the, because the manager and the, or the CTO or the tech lead or, or uh, uh, essentially the leader of that team is still very close to that team and he's setting those goals very, very clearly. So the team knows where to go, but obviously that will start breaking. In some other teams, uh, especially if the if the attitude is right, maybe it's better to do a more sort of collaborative approach to leadership, where you draw people in very quickly and you you clearly delegate some of the responsibility. But I think it's not overreacting and and setting clear goals goals uh, always on the way. Yeah, one of the things I'm hearing a little bit behind your answer, which I know because I've heard you say before in real life, is that uh, whenever I talk to you about a lot of different uh, decisions or thoughts you have, one of the big inputs is that you always sort of look for being sure about what's working already and not sort of upsetting, not sort of assuming that you know exactly what works in every scenario. So I would assume, I would guess that whether you were working with a team of four or a team of 10 or a team of 20 and you were looking to go to the next level, and I heard you almost saying this in the last couple of moments, but sort of, you know, identifying what's actually broken, not going and making, when you said don't overreact, don't go and make wholesale changes that are gonna upset the things that even though they might not look textbook or they might not look like what you read about in some blog post are really a core of what you already do well and actually can sustain the, the transition. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And there's like no template that you should, you're tracking how far off that template you are. It's. I'm ready to appreciate a lot of management styles which can look unorthodox, but they might be actually super effective for the context of a given company. So I think it's really being very receptive, very being very open. You're going to figure out that a lot of things you're doing. It's okay. We didn't do it. If you can hear that <laughs> siren in the background. No, not exactly. Like not overreacting and trying to fit, trying to actually assume something is broken, even if it might not be. Uh, and again, I think it's if if the motivation is there, if the goals are there, it's 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 just people like to build stuff, and this is just a trait that we should exploit. That people like to build things, and they like to they like to deploy and deliver things, and see see them see them, and see people use them. And you will actually hear on interviews that's one of the most common reasons for people leaving jobs. I don't see people using my code. I don't see myself bringing value to society or at least to to the business. And this is something that I feel if, if you keep that, uh, that's actually gonna do wonders for the first 20 employees. 
Cool. I'm going to jump down the list a little bit here because these have felt like really high level questions. And if we skip down a couple, we have some that are really more about sort of nuts and bolts, uh, moment to moment leadership things. So I wanted to look at a couple more down here. One of them is how do you avoid an unpleasant conversation affecting your overall relationship to the receiving party? I think that's more of kind of a daily Zen of the manager, daily Zen of the leader kind of question. I had a one-on-one -on -one about that today. It's really, it's really something that is super common and it goes along the lines of how do I say uncomfortable things to people I have a friendly relationship to? Will it break it? How do I stay friends with my team if I'm the manager? Um, it's, I think there's some pre, -con I think that I think tough feedback and essentially becoming a manager can break friendships. And this is something that will not always be possible to avoid. And sometimes I also, when, for example, uh, we were setting up coaching in, in, um, in product board and I got my personal coaches. One of the things that I've listed as hard is that the role can actually feel lonely at times and that there's people that you don't have essentially enough peer relationships on a similar level to yours where you can get feedback, where you can share your issues and, and kind of get a, a response that you feel is relevant back. And you can, uh, I think there's a few ways to, to deal with this. A, I think the sort of vulnerable management style actually does a great deal at diffusing that. And if you are very clear with uh, the team that is reporting to you that you might not know the best answer and you put problems in front of them and perhaps a proposed solution uh, or you, some thought process that you did uh, before, people uh, will be more, uh, kind of will treat you more as a human and will treat you more as a friend and will also if they feel you treat them as, as the human beings they are and with the feelings they have, I think they will do the same in, 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 uh, in return. I think also it shouldn't be a reason to avoid hard conversations. Uh, I've heard a lot of things about radical candor in the past and I've always been like delaying reading it. And I've truly like read it end to end in the car, uh, kind of going between Berlin and Prague this summer. And it was just like a, there was so many revelations in there, in, in, in there for me. But the first one was actually the main topic of the book. And that was first establishing a caring relationship with the person and then being very clear with your feedback. And it was demonstrating uh, on a two by two, uh, the sort of situations you get, can get yourself into. The one they're striving for is radical candor, where you are very direct with feedback, you're, you're candid, but at the same time, uh, you address problem. You don't address. You don't attribute the issues to the person itself, but simply to the behaviors or actions they do. Uh, and but you're very clear in uh, sharing feedback. Then there's ruinous empathy, where you care for the person, but you're scared to tell them something bad. And the book actually starts with the story. So even if you read the two first three pages of the book, there is exactly a great story about that how not telling somebody they're underperforming eventually leads to them being fired and not giving them a chance to improve. And one of the funny things is like, and the third quadrant is obnoxious aggressivity, I think it is. And it's basically not caring about people, but telling them what they're doing wrong. 
And the book stresses really strongly that not caring and giving the people feedback is still so much better than caring about them and not telling them hard feedback. And it keeps on repeating it through the book. Then there's this fourth quadrant, which is like, you're, that's really like, that's really a tragedy where you don't care and you don't tell the people. And that's like, it doesn't hopefully happen too often. But I actually feel people uh, falling into the ruinous empathy quadrant actually quite a lot. And they care for the feelings. They also care for their personal relationship with the people and they're afraid to jeopardize it. And it prevents them from telling the people hard things. And in my experience, actually, I've never seen telling somebody feedback in an empathetic way, very directly, and with a chance of a way out and uh, a chance of not losing their face and simply addressing the issue and nothing else, no personal characteristic, not, uh, not relating to anything personal about the, about the person you're talking to. I've never experienced that it would break a relationship I had with people. I would actually experience that it, people are more thankful because you help them succeed, you help them move. And if you share what you're thinking, you can sort of give them some closure afterwards that this is something that, you know, it's just an observation and something I think that will help you. And uh, that it actually works wonders. And then uh, over time, people will actually, these are the people that if they, if, they, if they leave a company, suddenly employees are like doing goodbye events, you know, this is the best manager I ever had. These people have in common in my experience that they're actually very candid and have very direct feedback towards people. Yeah, and I think it's easy for anyone, manager or otherwise, to come up with one to many examples of when the opposite in life didn't work. So in any relationship, professional, personal, when you have a serious complaint about another person's behavior that you keep to yourself, I think we all have examples of that being very destructive to the relationship. I, I actually joked that like learning to manage actually helped me really in family life. And with my and, and with the relationship with my wife, so that's I the, the the great example of that is if I'm unhappy with something she's doing or she's not doing, and I I had a good habit of getting frustrated around it and just like acting weird and kind of expecting it to improve, and actually just like saying what bothers me, not giving too much uh, additional emotion to it, just saying hey I feel sad because just leaving it at that and just kind of like you know sharing that very direct feedback actually helped me a not not be an uh, can i say asshole on the podcast i haven't gotten any official no, news on whether that's allowed or not but um really not to act like a jerk uh and um and uh it actually helped me usually resolve what bugged me much faster than if we kind of uh, took my frustration to an argument and then you know after after two hours we got actually to the point of what was bothering me so I also kind of learned a lot how to avoid a lot of situations which I can just uh, get get through and with much less like collateral damage on the way yeah and I've told you before that I think it works essentially the opposite way for me I went through some pretty difficult personal relationships before I ever became a manager and I find that the maturity and I don't know if I would call them skills, but kind of the, the changes in the way that I deal with relationships look like to the people that I'm working with as if I, I read some great management textbook or underwent some great training program. But actually, I think a lot of them 
come instinctively from from challenges I've had in my my personal life. So this is a two way, this is kind of a two way osmosis. It can be. The other thing I want to say is, as a person who listens to a lot of podcasts, I think that using bad words is considered like part of the game, kind of. I think it's part of the thing. Well, why are podcasts different than other media? Well, because you can use bad words. I think is one of the the stock answers. So you're probably okay. I think we have time for one or two more questions. Did you see one here that you were particularly excited about? I have one that I think is is pretty pretty interesting. Do you want to pick one for yourself, or I'm just reading like right now the list and scrolling through it. But say your question, and I'll read through it and see if I if I have one. But I'm I like this similar to becoming a psychologist. Uh, I believe whoever wrote this question believes the role of a manager is quite a lot about talent. How much of management skills can be learned? To be honest, if I was choosing like a therapist, I would probably focus on if the person studied it and keeps improving himself rather than trying to assess if he's a good psychologist by nature. <laughs> I think that actually would give me much greater chances of success. And I think it's the same thing with management. Um, there might be, it's something Daniel was saying uh, about two weeks ago in, in some in some context, uh, that empathy is a skill that can be learned. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it's something that I've also had to learn and I think tune over time. It's not just like being there with like being empathetic, but being empathetic in a given environment, in a, in a, in a, in a given sort of social group. And there is a different level of empathy I have to express in a group of close friends where you can make pretty direct jokes and sort of be a little bit more, you know, attack a little bit more personal boundaries where being in a company, where being in a home. And I think this is something that um, that you have to learn. And I think the word is like tune that it's that's really uh, accurate. And that will go with a lot of the other skills and traits that you have to have as a manager. So I think this can be learned. And I think actually it's very hard to be a natural leader as much of a phrase as it is. Yeah, and you alluded to something about what a person brings into it. The, in the question, the word was talent. I can't remember the word that you used, but a word that came to my mind was temperament. And not just for this reason, but my mother spent a long time researching and working in topics of organizational behavior. And one of the things that comes out is that temperament is not a blocker to any personal outcome, but knowing about your temperament and understanding others' temperaments is. If you can't do that, there will be opportunities that are unavailable to you. But similarly, there's no one personality that makes for the perfect manager, but I think we could say that a person who doesn't understand that there are different kinds of personalities and that bridging those personalities to form a good team is an important part of the job would have a pretty hard time succeeding. No, it's true. And, and I also, I direct sometimes people at product board, especially uh, if they're thinking about temper and issues to, to Josh, because I think in that sense, he does have a talent. So I think in some ways you can leverage the talents you have about being able to, but maybe what, I, what do I know? Maybe it's an acquired thing. Well, that's why I was going to, I didn't have a chance to interrupt you, but I was going to say, yes, I'm still tuning your empathy as we speak. So I look, uh, I look forward to doing more of that. But uh, that's, yeah. that's the first <laughs> genuine laugh I got on this podcast. I hope on future ones, there'll be more than one. Uh, yeah, I look too serious here. No, uh, but maybe I just wasn't funny before now. Uh, 
wanted to say something now, I completely forgot what it was. Yeah, but a, a temperament uh, and sort of this is probably one of the things that when I was like saying uh, in the beginning that I that I like painfully long stayed in some like patterns that I, that I tended to repeat, it was one of those things and that's temperament and like first absorbing and then reacting. And this is, for example, thing I had to learn, I think the hard way and, and really what I also try to seek out with this podcast is at least share the things. That's why I also titled my talk, What I Wish I Had Known before becoming and becoming an engineering manager and why it's always like so popular to read it like on reddit like what i wish what do i 40 what what would i tell my 20 year old self at 40 and it's like there's just like always like there's gold hidden in the comments and in the answers so i think there's a lot i'll be telling myself in two years and five years as well but so far i also wanted to share the things and also kind of exactly in response to this question there's a lot of things i don't have a talent for and i just have to learn and overcome over time yeah so we're coming up on the end of our allotted time here actually precisely because you advised someone to talk to me about uh, temperament issues and i have that scheduled for a few minutes from now but also we had originally thought we'd, we'd try for about an hour those of you who listen to the podcast if you're clamoring for more and you wish we would have done a whole another hour of stuff let us know for future versions do you have any final thoughts that you want to express about either some of the topics we touched on or, or your hopes for engineering leadership and the conversation around that going forward? Yeah, I want to apologize how the podcast isn't funnier after your talks and after your comments about laughing. Uh, no, but, but we were both just getting warmed up. It'll be better next time. Yeah, but I, I enjoyed this and it's, it's just a topic I, I love talking about. And in the end, it's something I enjoy doing as well. And then I'll just come back with the cheesy phrase about about product board. That one of the things that that really got me here and 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 really um, uh, helped me actually from very quickly on be decided that the place I want to go to is that these things are a discussion here and these things are something that you're not expected to know everything, but you're expected to talk about them and share and actually tell people when you don't know, because that's the only way other people can figure out what you're thinking about and what you're trying to solve and participate. So again, that's the goal of this podcast as well. I hope that we're not going to be only sharing our opinions on how we, people should do things, but also maybe do like a, a, an episode about what are our current problems and, and, and maybe draw some, draw some great, great feedback and answers from how other people solve these things. So that's, that's really what I would be looking for towards right now actually sharing some of our issues and hearing how, how you how you could uh, how you solve them and how you see how you see them. Maybe we're just overreacting, maybe there's a simple solution, maybe um, maybe we're already doing all right. So whatever that is. Great. Well thanks for being on the podcast with me today. I also want to thank Teresa Machachkova who's been a big part of this initiative but also is the person who invited me to be the moderator or host and it's really exciting for me to get a chance to try this again after 20 years since I was last on the microphone. So it's been a lot of fun for me. This has been the Product Board Engineering Leadership Podcast. If you have better ideas for names, topics, formats, anything you'd be more excited to hear, let us know. I don't know how to tell you how to do that, but I'm sure it'll be in the description or some other field in your podcast application of choice. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks.